You're listening to Design Talk, a podcast for conversations connecting design with theory, organizations, business, and impact. Hello, my name is Adnan. Hello, my name is Wang Hao. Uh, we are very pleased to welcome Luke Middleton, Head of Technology and Innovation at Datadyne Consulting. And welcome Yu Teng, that's from Huawei Developer. So, um, can you please tell us about yourself and the story behind Datadyne? Yeah, sure. Um, so I co-founded Datadyne with my best friend when I was in college uh, doing my master's. So my master's is in medical informatics. So I worked with a lot of primary care facilities as I was a GP secretary at the time. Um, so we kind of started making very simple Wix websites for local restaurants, bars, and then I was working with GP clinics, fixing their servers, making sure health one and all their internal systems work correctly and um, as we finished college myself and my business partner kind of thought right well there's not much jobs out there that look appealing so we'll keep going and we started um, doing more complex projects that couldn't be done on a website builder for instance and custom code software um, and then we moved into graphic design a bit of digital marketing social media strategies um, but I do enjoy getting back into the medical aspect of it which is not as much as I as I should do, but um, we do have occasional projects with it and new build software mostly. But uh, yeah, we went from basically doing websites for 100, 200 euro to um, government projects, global drinks brands now is where we're at for the web design aspect of it. And uh, last year partnered with Huawei as their Irish uh, cloud service provider essentially. So it was a fantastic move as Tang will tell you. We spent, he's, he's basically like my business and you know, my husband at this stage, the amount of time we, we spend together, I speak to him more time than I do my own business partner and my fiance. So uh, we have a very good relationship, but it's, um, yeah, it's good. So that's, that's kind of where we're at now. And we're, we have hubs in Seattle, Colombia, Rwanda, uh, India, Pakistan, uh, and a couple of extra developers around the place. I know you were talking about uh, outsourcing recently. So we originally started with outsourcing uh, and then started hiring some of the let's say at least the really, really good gold standard guys and girls. It's kind of where we're at now. And we have a team of, uh, just, uh, I believe it's 20 now um, around the world. So, so uh, you are saying you are working in the health informatics industry. So I guess the customer will come from the hospitals or? Um, at the moment, no, we'd be working with private uh, healthcare providers. Um, so we're building at the moment a piece of uh, medical software for essentially for booking and managing elective surgery uh, posts um, throughout hospitals in Ireland. So that's one project we're working on at the moment. But it's majority of them will be uh, private sector. And since we're in the out- outsourcing and offshoring module, so would you say most of the business or a lot of it is outsourced or is it mainly done here? or For development-wise, um, over the last number of years, our in-house development team, we have hired them and we've, we, we originally went outsource and then hired the ones that we found were the best and were trustworthy and we knew we would do the job and had covered us many, many times over. Um, so we hired a lot of them. There's a number of individual sole traders that we will keep for specific projects um, or for maintenance of certain, say, websites. But we've gone from outsourcing to in-house and we're now looking back at an outsourcing model. And it's more of a... I think cost-cutting is probably the wrong term, but it's more of a managed cost. So I know, for instance, if a project comes in, I know the budget for it, I know how much I can pay. It means that I can go out to one of our trusted providers or even new providers that we're testing out and 
I will have an exact budget and I won't have a recurring fee. So as opposed to having, you know, two or three members of staff full time who may not have projects in months, we're going back to the outsourcing offshoring model of it does cost more, but in a recurring basis, it's going to cost less for us because it means we don't have consistent costs every month for wages for anything like that. And a lot of the I know you were talking about um, India Soft, I believe was the name of the company. Um, for instance, we would use in Indian, Pakistan, and Bangladesh very good hubs for development. And they do have teams, which is the key thing, which I really, really do like. And it works very well for our company. So it means that if somebody, our core developer, is sick, it's irrelevant when it's a company that's offshore because another developer will stand in or t- and so on. There's a whole team of, you know, between 10, 20, and some companies have two or 300 developers over there. So it's incredibly competitive. Um, it's a competitive market, but you need to find the right one. And that's the key thing, because essentially you make a bad call on that. It can ruin your reputation. Um, but I have noticed a trend recently, which we do like, is that they'll often provide a project manager or IT project manager specifically to who will be your point of contact. So you're not even dealing with the development staff. You're purely dealing with, so I can have my project manager dealing with their project manager, and then my project manager and client manager will work with the client and go through that channel. It's going quite well. Oh, that's interesting to hear that. I would like to know more about how do you cooperate with Huawei, Huawei and you cooperate together with uh, a business. Cooperate? We mostly fight at this stage, don't we? But, um, so how, how we're working at the moment is we're deploying some of our, um, some of our clients onto the Huawei cloud at the moment. Uh, it is, and I'm not just plugging it because Teng is sitting beside it, it is a very robust, the elasticity of that, of that cloud is incredible. So it's one of the biggest um, you know, infrastructure as a service or even cloud migration issue is, or used to be in my opinion, is the bandwidth amount or is the drop in service when you hit your limit. That doesn't happen very much anymore, especially with the Huawei service. It's kind of stretches out as you need it. There may be, you might get an extra bill at the end or you will get an extra bill at the end, but it does give you that comfort in knowing that if, for instance, yeah, like I always use Ticketmaster as the example of a, for, from a web platform base when, you know, uh, ACDC go on sale at 9 a.m. and 100,000 people log on. How does the site stay up? It's because of elastic servers similar to the ones Huawei have. Is that they can, they can't, you can predict it, but you can't predict it to a level that will ensure continuation of business. So that will be where we're, we're, we're looking at now is testing a lot of these unique pieces of software we had, have on their, on their system as well as general public-facing websites to, yeah, to give, give, give Huawei a run anyway, to see, how they, to see if they're as robust as they are. And so far, it's been, it's been great. It's been great working with them. They're very supportive. I think one thing that um, I've noticed is you will always have a team member. Um, from a, They can be in China. They can be in Ireland. They'll be anywhere. If you need a solutions architect, Huawei will send one or will link you in with one. So uh, that does help. A company like we're not a big company data line but having that support as a partner of whatever we need essentially to do the job to ensure that we do a job is very very helpful yeah we'd like to see more about this cooperation among the, all the globally uh corporations oh yeah, exactly yeah we, we've worked with uh, cloud service providers and you know you leave a ticket uh, when you have a problem and a week later you get a response which isn't the response you want whereas now, I'll generally call Teng if I have a problem, which he doesn't like too much, but I have my, you know, I have my other technical contacts that I can send an email to, and it'll be fin- fixed very quickly. And uh, even from a client side, I can see that their, you know, customer service is a, 
is a premium product these days, and I think the customer service that they offer is one of the attractive aspects to Datadyn to allow our clients to work with them. Amazing. So go, going back to you, um, so would you call yourself an entrepreneur? I knew Alan was going to bring this question up after. Uh, I, I may have made a comment of uh, my dislike of the word uh, entrepreneur. I think the negative connotations probably isn't the right word, but I've never liked the word entrepreneur. Uh, I would consider myself a business owner. Um, I think that it's it's being I, uh, entrepreneurship and the study of entrepreneurship and learning entrepreneurial activities, I think, is a, is definitely something that is very passionate about and you know learning new skills learning soft skills i think is a big part of entrepreneurship but the word to call yourself an entrepreneur um no i wouldn't consider myself i'd be a business owner so i just have a follow-up question to be honest what what would be the difference between an entrepreneur and a business owner no, nothing really. I think it's just the term. It's it's purely the word entrepreneur. I I think an entre- I can see why people call themselves entrepreneur. You have a vision. You have a, a direction. Of you have what you want to do. Um, but I think a business owner is more. For me, it's a sign of, you know, I I'm not tooting my own horn. I'm saying, listen, this is what I do. These are the people I look after. I have a great team. Whereas if you call yourself an entrepreneur, you know. Entrepreneurs, in my opinion, are not made. You know, there's not one person. There's a team. So when you call yourself an entrepreneur, you're like, yeah, you're not. The 20 people who supported you over the last 10 years who made you a success are the entrepreneurs. You know, I'll tell anybody looking at starting a business, you can, if you want to start a business, you need to find a team. I'm very lucky that my, my best friend of mine, since I was five years old, we decided to go in together. So there's that level of trust. Um, there's no single entrepreneur, in my opinion. It's the team behind the idea and behind it, uh, behind a company. So for the differences between working for the private and the public, I think the private that they are more focused on the cost, they will f- uh, focus on the money with they worthy for spend the money for the IT things. And for the um, public sectors, they they might more uh, focus on the qualities and doing you working with those sectors and the IT services what's the challenge that you met um, the challenge with public I find is speed um, if we we work as as I had to as I told Alan that'll be my third or fourth coffee today you know we, we work fast as do a lot of private sectors I found dealing with public sectors they're they're a bit slower to respond to make even make decisions for instance anything over I believe it's 25,000 for a cost for an IT system has to go to public tender so you can have multiple companies bidding on this system so you can we've put you know a week two weeks into a tender before and not won it so it's it's you know you're draining your resources going for the public ones but then if you get them it does give you that recognition of okay these guys are a real deal basically so you know when we got our first one we were very excited and kept moving on from there and there and immediately the next one we applied for became became the reference essentially so it does give you that burning passion to actually you know, nail it, I suppose, is the word I'd use, is really make sure you deliver. Um, but when it comes to private sector, they can be a lot quicker making a decision. Um, they can have a lot more internal resources, which is not necessarily a good thing. It's very difficult to tell a CEO, a founder of a large company, you're wrong. That's so much you don't get in the public sector, I find. That would be more in the private sector. That would be my biggest, uh, biggest difference, is the involvement. Whereas public sector, I find they, you have your point of contact, and generally you don't uh, you don't hear from anybody else. Yeah, so we have the different approach for the deliver according to those uh, both sectors. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So, uh, what what are some of the challenges you inqu- encountered providing IT services for the health sector? Adoption, the biggest one. You know, cloud computing in 
in, in Ireland in the health industry is in its infancy and trying to get any movement on it is quite difficult. Um, it's fear, you know. I think when you take security, if, if, you, if you were to Google the biggest advantages and the biggest disadvantages of cloud computing, I would be fairly confident in the top three, both of them will be security, both an advantage and disadvantage. When it comes to the legacy systems that that the health industry are using, for instance, you, everybody's I assume is familiar with the HSE cyber attack. We don't need to go into it too much, but from my from what my knowledge, that was a click on a, on a, an attachment or something like that, which took down an entire nation's uh, medical infrastructure essentially. So having those vulnerabilities, and not I think the biggest one is the training. Is you know you can adopt everything, you can put in the best. The, best of the best cloud service and you can have the best everything but if you don't train your staff it's completely useless and it's dangerous and I think that's why security is a disadvantage and it's down to the human error because I, I believe it's over 90% of um, cyber attacks I think it was 2020 or 2021 we're down to human error and there's no data on it but I will be very confident it was from companies when pandemic hit everybody moved home or everybody worked from home excuse me and I know companies say, here, here's a laptop, log into this server from here, your password's ABC123, and you think, okay, red flag, that's not good. But um, yeah, I, th I think security from both sides is gonna be the hindrance in, in, sorry, security as a negative data loss is gonna be the big hindrance to uh, medical industry adopting cloud, which is the biggest slowdown in this country, in my opinion. Yeah, because you, when you work in a, hospitals so such those devices connect with your IT service and the IT system so it will be really dangerous when you are uh, connected with uh, such as ventilators and all those uh, according to the personal health so how do you keep those uh, cybersecurity to ensure that they are safe that's the billion dollar question i think that uh, that, that Huawei might might be good at answering but Essentially, the, you know, as technology advances, so do the attackers. And that's always going to be the way. There's always going to be that, you know, I don't know if anybody, I'd be a bit of a movie man myself, has watched Die Hard 4.0, the fourth one with all the computer hacking, and they take down the entire country, essentially. You know, that is, a, you know, essentially science fiction, but it is possible to do. So I think that's the fear. And for me, from, from my knowledge of medical computing, is essentially, uh, specifically, it goes back to, I believe it was called the Thorac 25 system, which was a, uh, I believe it was used in the treatment of cancer patients, and it was a radiology um, machine that was run off a piece of computer software that would administer radio, uh, radio, uh, radiography or radio, uh, radio blast uh, for cancer patients as a treatment. And unfortunately, it, the software wasn't calibrated correctly or had a problem within it, and it, I think it did 100 times the dose that it should do. So there was a, again, this has gone back a few years when I was right about this, and um, a lot of people died from it. So immediately that's, if you talk to anybody who's been in the medical, in, medical industry for 20, 30 years, I think that instances like that are their biggest fear. And you're right, it's, it comes down to a clinical decision support system is what you're saying, is that IT helping, this is pre-AI, pre-anything like that. A clinical decision support system is supposed to support the decision of the clinician. But when you take that decision away from the clinician and allow a computer to make the decision, that's when fear comes and that's when problem arises. So I will, I will be uncomfortable with it. I, I, I go to my GP, I'll get my bloods done, I'll go to a hospital and see a person. I don't feel, I wouldn't feel comfortable with a, 
you know, a decision being made by a computer system for based on my health. Other than, you know, your your cholesterol is a little high. Look, here's the here's the reading, that sort of thing. But I think, you know, it's going to change over the next ten years. Ireland, maybe twenty years, but there's. It's, it's, it's how much it's going to change. So when you're talking about devices, walking around with, uh, I think um, Kaiser Permanente is the US, uh, one of the big private hospital suppliers, and they've had these mobile, I believe they call them mobile nurses, and it's a giant, it's about the, about the size of a human, and you roll it around and it has a tablet built into the computer, and we'll have all the information on the patient. There'll be a defib, a defibrillator on it. There'll be different, you know, There'd be different immediate things that a, a clinician, a nurse, or a doctor, essentials that a doctor would need, including all the information about the patient. I think they've had them for 15 years, and I've been in a hospital, public hospital in Ireland, before, in maybe maybe just before COVID, and uh, I saw someone with a paper chart. So there's your difference, you know, there's countries who are streaks ahead, and there are countries who are miles behind. Now the private sector would be better in Ireland, the private healthcare sector, but. Um, the HSE, uh, not not so much. I won't go into it in case anybody hears. Yeah. You see yourself having, having a laugh there, yeah. But as you mentioned, it would be good for the security and the kind of stability of the technology itself to be in line with the technology, so that you know you're not kind of jeopardizing the safety. Absolutely, yeah. But it's it goes down to you know, I would prefer. You know, I prefer a high technical, not decision making, but a high technical environment to a low technical environment mm -hmm. in that area because mistakes happen. You know, it's it goes it goes down to does that say ten or does that say hundred when it's handwritten? I would love to see the day where you know every every doctor, every consultant has a tablet in their hand, walking around, and they can pop and say, okay, this is Luke Middleton. He has this, 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 and this. That's gone now. I know how to treat him, as opposed to trying to ring a GP to find out is this person allergic to penicillin at midnight on a Saturday when they've fallen over. You know, it's, there's a very simple ecosystem, not simple, very, very difficult, but a very simple solution. I think the statistic that you used with um, over 90% of like um, uh, or cybersecurity things. Don't happen. quote me on that. It's about that. Uh, about that, about that, about that. But it happens due to human error. So that kind of tells us um, a lot about you know who who we should have kind of more uh, reliance on yeah should, should should the computers be making the decisions then but it's yeah it's it, it's down to i think a lot of them are when you say human error it's down to training and it's down to like the unfortunate hsc one was a click of an attachment or a link and that just started it all off it's it's a domino effect of one little movement like that but no matter how much you train people like this this business there's a business i know of um who they received an email from a supplier saying, hey, they, I think they had a bill of, that they were paying for something, maybe about a quarter of a million euro, which is a lot of money for this company, and uh, a lot of money for anybody. And they were requested uh, from the email address of the CFO, um, everything looked legitimate, we're just updating our banking details, could you please send the payment onto this? And he thought, yeah. And it was worded the same, he'd used the same nickname or something, very much. It wasn't, it was a, it was a uh, a scammer who had, had managed to get into their email, read through their, some of their conversations, understood the conversations that they would have, and then had sent a dummy email from what was exactly the same email address through uh, Telnet or something, so probably something similar to that, and had used the sign-off, used everything. Company sent the money, lost the money, and I believe they went out of business after that. Uh, the company was in business for 20, 25 years. We're, we're gone because the insurance company wouldn't cover, because that's not their problem, essentially, uh, unfortunately. So they went out of business from one little mistake like that. 
but you know that's it's not the first one and won't be the last and i know there's a more popular with the portable devices such as the telemetry so the patient can use the telemetry to uh, detect their heart heartbeat and those things and they when they connect to the to the uh, system so uh, the concern is from the doctor and nurses they will see that because it was from the paperwork into the electronic uh, IT uh, systems I think the simplicity of like you said wearing a heart rate monitor for instance or an insulin um, insulin tracker the simplicity of having that data immediately onto your system and having, you know, a red flag posted from your CDSS, your clinical decision support systems, and having, you know, what your heart rate jumped up here, your blood sugar was incorrect here, what happened, as opposed to writing it down on a piece of paper. It also takes the, you know, it, go, it goes down the, I'd be an avid rugby fan, and it goes down the taking the decision out of the player, you know, when it comes to a head injury, when it comes to a, a an ongoing treatment, uh, ongoing treatment of a, of a person, taking the ability for them to make a mistake out of their hands. So if they're wearing a uh, heart rate monitor and it needs to be a take five data points per day or whatever they, they might need to do, instead of the person, oh, I need to check that or I need to check my blood sugar, write it down, send it to the doctor, it's straight from their watch, it's straight to the system. And I think the advantage for both patient and doctor is there when it comes to data protection. Security, data loss is always your worry. You know, I think every every... Uh, every medical institution in Ireland that has um, digital data has to have it backed up off-site and they usually run their backup through the night so there's no loss of service. Um, simplicity, I think, is going to be the driver. And it's going to get down to, in fairness, laziness of the user. As Not to say we're lazy, but our generation like things to be easy and we don't want to write stuff down and go to the doc. We want, Grandy, you need my heart rate? Yeah, just stick a watch on me and it'll be with you later on. So I think as... The kind of technical generation, the you know, 1980, 1985, as we start pushing up. If my dad's listening to this, who's 70, he's very technically uh, sound. He'd be one of the exceptions, if you will. But uh, as this, as, as the, I think as technology advances, the newer stuff will get pushed back and the older stuff will get used, if that makes sense. So as paper goes, the simple technologies will take over and the more advanced ones will slowly start to adopt. But when it comes to healthcare, just add on 20 years. I think is until proper adoption of it because it's pe essentially it's people's health um, it's people's well-being and I think it's very it's dangerous to adopt like the Threat 25 like that radiation software it's dangerous to adopt a technology in the health in the health industry without proper use and proper testing so um, could you talk about the infrastructure as a service business model we We've never had our own servers. We've never worked like that. We've worked from the cloud since day one. Now, a lot of it was, uh, as I said, was Wix websites at the start. We've been, uh, we've been with, um, I shouldn't mention Google Workspace. I don't think Tang would be their biggest fan, but we've been using Google Workspace since day one. Um, and then we moved from a number of different cloud providers with Huawei now, obviously. Um, and yeah, we've, I think the cost is the biggest one for us. It's similar to what I was saying about um, hiring versus offshoring or outsourcing is that you can pay as you need. There's no massive upfront costs. It's not like you're joining a gym and they charge you, you know, 500 euro joining fee in 60 a month. It's right. What do we need? We need two terabytes. We need this. We need this. We need this. Purchase them. This is what we need. We'll get a notification if we need to purchase more as opposed to spending essentially thousands on, on internal infrastructure. So freeing up your staff would be the biggest one for me, I think knowing that you don't need to have somebody working Christmas Day 
uh, to make sure that the server doesn't go down for clients that are outside of Ireland. That sim- instances like that, the chances of a power cut going or, or you know, anything happening to an internal server. I, I don't really feel like driving to the office or driving to my data center at two o'clock in the morning to fix it when I can pick up the phone or I can call a customer support and say, what's going on here? I need, this needs to be fixed immediately. So cost-wise, it's a big one for us. Um, and expansion-wise, you know, it's... We looked at the internal, having a having. I, I do love the big cages, the big uh, data cages or the server cages, but it's the cost is the big one. Cost and the manpower. It's a lot simpler to go down the IS route. What about the the risk factor of it? Do you, do you, is that something you consider? You know, it's not. We went straight to the cloud from day one. Um, for me, for me, I, I is the risk bigger. No, I believe the risk is less when you're in the cloud for me, as long as you keep your staff trained. You keep your password, we change our passwords every 30 days. We have a huge amount of cybersecurity protocols. There was actually one course I did up in UCD, with cybersecurity uh, to the professional academy. And it opened my eyes thinking, okay, all these simple things we could implement, and it could be very, very helpful to the business. So again, it goes down to the 90% the human error. And human error for your own internal server, if that thing goes on fire, your business is... In trouble. Whereas if something happens with a cloud service, I think we had one uh, one a few few months ago. It wasn't it wasn't on the Huawei service. It was on one of our others, on one of our old ones, and there was an attempted uh, breach of it, which was shut down very quickly. However, they did lock our account, so we got onto them and said, "Listen, this is situation. Oh, that's no problem." And they had it back up in about two hours. So, you know, all we needed if that was an internal server, one lapse in anything and everything could have been wiped and everything could have been stolen and you have your you know um what are they called um where they're looking for bitcoin uh bitcoin payments to release your data i think the chance of that happening on a cloud service especially with a robust known company is a lot less than your own stuff so security wise yeah go cloud so when you are finding Huawei, do you meet some challenges, or uh, when you are communication with each other, or no, no comments on that. <laughs> um, you know, as I've said to Tane, the, the cultural differences when we started, like they were noticeable, but I think we got on very well. And uh, we, no, oh, sorry, yeah, sorry, yeah, go ahead, Tane. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so you know, um, we are looking the Huawei Cloud. We are very new the um, you know department in in Europe. So we only launched the cloud by last year um, October. So we are purpose is to help a local company to grow up. So uh, it's a, help the SME and the staff. You know, so um, data is uh, you know we are same strategy. So with Huawei. So this is the reason we have a cooperator. And uh, for second reason, so we look in the data, the reason is uh, we have a um, couple of like a SME company from China will be exported in Ireland or in the European. So data can help our to register, you know, the, their company in, in, in Dublin, in Ireland. And, um, and also we can involve some local company to China. So go China, go Asia, you know. So this is a purpose. So Daydine can also can do this job. So um, I think from Daydine, you know, the, the difficult things is, uh, you know, the Huawei, um, uh, we only focus these two things, you know, to help the local company and uh, help the Chinese company. So the, uh, from data and maybe they will find the local company, you know, directly use the Huawei cloud. So um, should be difficult, right? So, but uh, but uh, 
maybe in future we we can provide like the cloud by cloud maybe deadline can straight away to sell the cloud so not use like the Huawei branding or something so this is our planning here okay good to hear that future plan with more cooperation between the countries yeah it's 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 going to be exciting i think bringing chinese companies to ireland to create jobs here and having a great channel into china for irish companies is uh yeah, it's going to be really fun, I have to say. Really looking forward to the next couple of years with Huawei. So um, for for our classmates, do you have any things to ask about our guests and any comments? Um, hi, my name is Max. Um, how, how did you meet each other? What was the process? So did you approach Huawei or was it the other way around? Um, yeah, how, how, how did you find or how did the businesses find each other? Yeah, that's a good question. It was very romantic, really. Um, no, we, we, um, uh, Data Line were actually at, um, was it Tech Connects? Uh, in or the Estones event, we were exhibiting at the event, and uh, Ten came up to us and had a nice chat, and then we were kind of, it was towards the end of the day, so I remember myself and Connor were quite tired. We thought, okay, let's get a couple more chats in and let's head off, and uh, thank God we didn't go early, and Ten came up and he said, have you, have you looked into going to China? Have you looked? And we were like, no, not really. We were looking the opposite direction, but and then after a couple of weeks of talks, kind of aligned what Huawei were trying to achieve in Ireland and what we were trying to achieve as a, you know, be the, be the next big consulting firm in Ireland is our kind of long-term goal. Um, so hand in hand, that's, you know, both of us can grow in this country, I think, together. Yeah, if not just through the, like, the, um, the IDS event, so, you know, Ireland is a very small market, so maybe we will through another, you know, opportunity to find it. So, um, what we is your major concern when you form partnership? Is about um, the cost, the expertise, or the culture difference? Like, what is your major concern when it comes to partnership? That's a good question. I think expertise, you know, if you're going to partner with somebody, the cost is, for me, would be secondary, even though that is the most important part of a, a business is, you know, you're not in it to make friends, you're in it to make money. That's, that's as simple as it is, um, unless you're doing social ventures, etc. But when you're setting up a company, cause so biggest concern is the expertise and, you know, what some of the areas that we wouldn't be as robust in Huawei are great at supporting us in that, which is, as I think I mentioned that earlier, it's incredibly helpful having some of the best of the best in the world saying no listen why don't we do this why don't we do this and that's a great plan that's a great plan but it was the expertise it was the the comp you know even the company culture as as tang mentioned our kind of our medium and long-term goals the two companies really aligned and it was we we're we, when we had out having dinner a couple of weeks ago and we kind of realized hang on a second we're both trying to do the same sort of thing that you know huawei on a far grander scale than us but hand in again hand in hand we can work together very well to achieve these goals so um, and when it came to the cost, I think Tang mentioned that we could get a 70% discount every 15 minutes when we first met. So that was that always caught an eye to us. You know, it's having a few savings and having friends in the right places in your partnership is very helpful. Um, but essentially, uh, any partner we have, and we have a couple of them uh, um, in different areas, it's it's mutual beneficial, mutual ensuring that both companies get something out of it. Um, is the key part of it because if one company is leaning on the other it's like a relationship at home you don't want to have, to have one person doing more cleaning or doing more this than the other person it creates friction it creates problems so when you align your goals figure out exactly what you want from each other and then you go and do it and I think that's what both companies are doing at the moment so um, unless anybody has any more questions I guess we'll wrap up here uh, thank you so much for talking to us 
and for coming here. Yeah, thanks. That's been very enjoyable. Great. And anybody ever, ever re- wants to reach out and chat about anything, let me know. I'd be happy to help. Thank you for listening. The music used is Voltaic Fluctuations by Ben Prunty and used with his permission. Thank you.